Welcome back to your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. I'm Andrew Raff. This is the second part of the end of 2013 extravaganza that we recorded with Amy Watts and Dan Suter. The first part we talked about books, film, and all kinds of other things. The second part is pretty much all about television, as well as some of the things we're looking forward to in pop culture in 2014. We join the conversation already in progress. So, uh, but speaking of uh, alternative delivery mechanisms, I feel like that's what dominated the television conversation this year. Definitely. Uh, this was the year Another of... Another good segue. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that was a mediocre segue. Uh, but since we don't have fun segue music like Extra Hot Great, uh, it will have to do. <laughs> but the... So... Uh, there were the sh- the one that was supposed to be the biggest, I think, wound up being just the fattest, wettest fart noise. And the one that was kind of rolled out with no preamble on Netflix kind of did really well critically. And Are you so- talking about House of Cards versus Orange is the New Black? Yes, I am. You're picking up what I'm putting down. <laughs> we watched House of Cards and we watched both of those series with my Tuesday night TV group. And I mean, I liked House of Cards, and of course, it looked gorgeous, which it should, given what they spent on it. But David it, it it's just—I mean, I didn't feel like it had a whole lot of fresh things to say to me. The only thing I found interesting in that whole series was the relationship between the husband and the wife, because I thought that was a very interesting look at a couple who are um, pretty open in some ways with one another about their marriage being a partnership to further their careers as much as it is, you know, an intimate relationship based on romance. And I also think it's interesting to look at a couple that age that don't have kids um, that have been married a long time because you just don't see a lot of that on TV. Um, I was noticing something the other night. I'm a fan of White Collar on USA. And I realized that you've got a married couple on there who are very happily married and who have been married for a long time, as far as we can tell. And they never mention children. And, you know, that's just not something you see a whole lot of is a couple that doesn't have kids, but it's not because one of them's infertile. And it's not because there's this issue or that issue or whatever. It's just not even a, it's a non-issue. So I'll give House of Cards that. I liked the marriage, but Orange is the New Black was by far the better series. Well, the only the only part of House of Cards that I actually enjoyed was the episode um, where he went back to his district and like you'd see him playing, you know, big league baseball for 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 like three episodes, and then he has to go back and and play small ball and lay down a couple of bunts in his home district over like a totally manufactured scandal, and I, I liked that a lot. Are you talking um, but, about the peach? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a real it, thing, right? It, wait, that's a real thing? I pass it every time I go to my parents' house. Ugh. <laughs> I, I don't know. Just for me, for me, House of Cards was just portentous. It was pretentious. It was just, like, the biggest, emptiest, like, it's... Have you guys seen the kazoo cover of the Jurassic Park theme song? No. <laughs> no. Either way, it it it's like it's it's like this big build up and there's just nothing there. There's like nothing interesting at the heart of it. It's just like what if we made 
what if we made this guy do a fantastic Southern dandy accent and had him say a lot of really pretentious things right to the camera? <laughs> and it was like, all right, you know, it was, but Orange is the New Black, I have not seen yet. I'm embarrassed and ashamed. But My I TV oh. group has been watching that, and it's wonderful. And it's so many stories that are not on your TV screen otherwise. Um, so many kinds of people. I mean, it's bizarre in a way that you have to set a movie, I mean, sorry, a television series in a prison in order to see um, that diverse a cast interacting with one another regularly and talking, frankly, about race issues. It is really one of the best shows I've seen all year, and it's I either is going to be dominating the supporting actress awards in all the award shows, or it's going to be completely ignored in the same way that The Wire was never nominated. for Oh, anything. I think it's going to go the way of The Wire, unfortunately. Which is sad because so many of these performances are so good, and but the characters I, are I so interesting, a... and the stories are very compelling. And I mean. It came out over the summer. Did it come out outside of the the Emmys eligibility period? I don't know. It will be eligible for next year's. Okay. Right, so but like not... Orphan Black and Hannibal were eligible this year and did not it get nominated. Out, Correct. They, they, I they, think, you know, it's... they released it like four days after the cutoff for um the 2013 Emmys I think so the voters for this year's Emmys will be deciding on nominations or voting around the same time that the next season of Orange is the New Black is released on Netflix I think that's the hope right is that the new season will come out I think that's the idea I know it's I know it's in production now or they've wrapped production recently but uh, I I know they're they've been in production uh, so over I, the fall I, I think that this year, I mean, I kind of, I grew up on the tail end of the miniseries boom, or like, you know, the end of it, where miniseries were big and cheesy and awful, whereas previously they had been things like Roots, and I can't think of any other, but Roots, and because <laughs> um, I wasn't alive then. Uh, Winds of War, The Thornbirds, North oh, and yeah, South, the Thornbirds. all right. The Thornbirds. Is the Thornbirds? No, never mind. I'm thinking of uh, Flowers in the Attic. I always screw those up for some reason. The, yeah, uh, which, they're so alike. <laughs> well, they're making a movie out of Flowers in the Attic, so that's going to be creepy. Um, but Top of the Lake, guys, was so good. It, it's a New Zealand miniseries, like six or seven episodes, and it was so good and so bizarre. Like, <laughs> I hate how now anything that has a little touch of weirdness has to be compared to Twin Peaks, but it was kind of Twin Peaksy in a really dark, gritty way. That's a that's a uh, good thing. And oh, else? I love Twin Peaks. And it uh, stars Elizabeth Moss, if I'm correct. Oh, so good, so good. Now I will tell you that when you said the what was it the big wet fart of a mess or something, I thought you were going to be talking about Marvel's Agents of Shield. Oh, that. Because <laughs> that came with a lot of hype. Talk about, and just talk about like mayonnaise gone. on white bread with American cheese in it. I'm bored just in this amount of talking about That's it. That's what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is. Yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is a Wonder Bread mayonnaise American cheese sandwich. It's so bland. It's just so bland, guys. It, at least it has moments of jossiness. There's a, a, little, a little of that Whedon-esque spark to it. 
Um, but, uh, if you, but if you ask me, I haven't watched I, past episode three also. So there's, there's I, that I kind of, I kind of quit it. Like I, in the middle of an episode, I realized I'm not enjoying this. And I, my roommates were watching it and I put my headphones in and watched an episode of trophy wife on, uh, on my phone. So the, uh, but, uh, so like the weird thing, and I'm going to get a little grinchy here about saying year end TV is we're really talking about two separate television periods, you know? Well, yes got and this... no. I mean, well, the way things are debuted off season and released, I mean, like so far we've talked about things that weren't tied to a particular TV season in terms of Orange is the New Black, House of Cards, and Top of the Lake. And, and even given and even given uh, the seasonality aspect, so many things are now in the thirteen episode schedule that you that the year isn't as bad as a metric as it was when there, the TV season ran September to May. So Game of Thrones ran entirely in this year. Uh, some. Uh, Men, Boardwalk Empire, bad. Mad Men, Breaking Bad all ran their entire season in this year. This well, is and what depending I'm getting at. on how you watch things, all of Breaking Bad ran for me this year, all five seasons. <laughs> this is what I'm getting. This is my point. You guys are making my point for me. I'm so happy because the, <laughs> the traditional TV series is September till May. The Grammys are like October to September. You know, the, well, the Grammy year has nothing year. to do with anything because, like, the awards—it's just so screwy. The Grammys. I know. I, the 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 Oscars are a calendar year, but all the important awards stuff happens in February, which determines the stuff that then comes out like the next January. So it's like a thirteen-month, ten-month weird cyclical, like lunar movie calendar. But the <laughs> point is, I am here to declare the best of list dead. Because guess what? <laughs> no, nothing matters. All we could do in our book conversation was talk about, well, this came out in 2012, but I didn't get to it. Because that's the, that's the famous like book people thing. Like, well, this did come out in like 2011, but I'm just reading it. You know, the television season now, thanks to streaming and on demand and, and uh, forums and everything. And there's a vast, you know, people want to be engaged with television. And if they're not caught up now, they just do. They just get caught up. Someday I'll watch all of The Wire, and I, none of you can hold it over me. And <laughs> But I'll do it all in one year, and it'll be the best show that I watch that year, even though it'll probably be, you know, 10 years after the show premiered. So I, I'm going to declare seasonality dead, because we're talking, even in our limited discussions, we're talking about the second half of, of the traditional, of a traditional network season the first half of a traditional network season, and then a bunch of short, se short series um, cable runs, like, like special events. The football season screws up everything. The, ba the baseball season totally messes with Fox's fall schedule. You know, if you want to put down all of Breaking Bad in one summer, that's probably the best show you watched this year. So, you know, I, I don't get it. I don't see why we have to have arbitrary distinctions other than that it's comforting. And, you know, I'm, doesn't mean uh, the it's the same not reason we have arbitrary me. distinctions of why the year starts and ends when it does. And the year, the year as a construct is very arbitrary. Yes, I know the earth revolves around the sun over the course of the year, but <laughs> Whoa, why we start this is getting deep, why we started in winter rather than spring, uh, is pretty much only to give hope to the most dreary time of the year. But, uh, 
it's it is very arbitrary. But I mean, and this is what I love about the. I mean, I'm here. I maybe because I was young and shiftless and pirated everything, but I've been living this way for a long time. My freshman year of college, I spent a lot of time watching like five seasons of Scrubs back to back to back to back to back. You know, I watched the entire series run of How I Met Your Mother my junior year of college back to back to back to back. And, you know, that's the, that's the way we live now. It, I mean, I know that there have been a million think pieces about it, but it almost totally blows the, what was the best thing? And so I, for me, I feel like what the best thing you watched this year turns into like, what was the best thing that premiered this year? That's, that's how I look at it. And because I mean, Game of Thrones is great, but you know, I've known the Red Wedding was coming for a while because I, I read the books, much like Patton. You know, I read your book, <laughs> and I knew it was coming, and I got to enjoy the run up to it. You know, for me, it was like meta enjoyment. You know, Breaking Bad. There were two ways to enjoy the final season of Breaking Bad. I enjoyed watching the actual show, which was exquisite and amazing. The ending was like a A minus, whereas the rest of the show was an A plus. But the internet regarding Breaking Bad, like just going on on Sunday nights and Monday mornings and seeing the internet explode into like beautiful flowery theories and thoughts and reaction. The same thing with, I mean, Mad Men is even more so. Yeah, well, this I is, yeah, this is why I've wa enjoyed watching Mad Men so much for the last few years is that there's so much of an opportunity to discuss about it. It's, it's literary in the way it's constructed, which also allows for the kind of analysis and deconstruction that great literature provides and if tom and lorenzo's if tom and lorenzo's Mad Men fashion column was like a paid magazine like you had to pay to get it how much would you pay per week um, well i don't know dan i'd get it from the library i <laughs> i would i would pay ten dollars a week to have tom and lorenzo's Mad Men's fashion and analysis delivered to my doorstep because that is the best part of watching Breaking Bad is, or Mad Men is going on the next day and reading about all the fashion choices and what it means and what it like what it means for Joan's character and what it means for Peggy's awesome, you know, badass journey from from secretary to queen of the world. Like, that's what I love. You know, my I, you know, I in a year with great television moments uh, such as, you know, the Red Wedding and and you know name your choice at breaking bad you know in the last two or three episodes and you know stuff like that for me it was the the peggy olsen finally getting a back of the head shot you know to herself her own back of the head shot that was the year in television for me. nick miller on new girl i mean there have been some odes written to him but i feel nick miller I, he's he's about five years older than me i'm gonna be i'm 25 basically in real life, and Nick Miller's about 30, but I really feel where he's at in his life. You know, um, I might be a little better off logistically and financially than him, but as he said, you know, you know, you'd be rich, like fill your gas tank up all the way rich. And that's how I felt when I got my first like full paycheck from my, from my job. I was like, oh man, I can, I can get past, you know, two thirds of a tank of gas. And you know, I was like, I have to figure out how to like pay bills and stuff. Cause you know, in college you just kind of like, there was always the more responsible friend who did it for you. So, and now I am the more responsible friend. 
So I was gonna say, not for those of us that were the responsible friend, Dan. Well, I, I became the responsible friend my junior year of college. My first my freshman and sophomore year, I was the irresponsible friend. And then I had to grow up. But you know, Nick Miller is just he he's a, he gives hope to all the schlubby uh emotionally deficient uh guys out there who still live with three roommates so <laughs> well uh, as was... as far as people who are in the same you know age range place whatever as you uh this is the year that i finally quit on how i met your mother oh <laughs> well how i met your mother they're all like 35 <laughs> exactly they're they're I, i'm actually they're exactly my age fun. In other I'm words. still watching, actually, but it's out of obligation. I'm not. I I gave up on it. I realized I had like six of them sitting there on the DVR, and I just went, "No, poof, they were gone." It was wonderful. I, I just find it so much easier to catch up on a half-hour show because without ads, it's 22 minutes, and I can put three of them down in an hour and plus an extra 10. percent Yeah, so, but that, that's one of those shows where if. If it was bad, I was just annoyed and frustrated at watching it, so I'd only watch it if Seppenwall wrote a good review of it. And once he gave up on the show, I have no barometer to ever have any need to come back to it. So I'm. Did he give up on the show? Is he not reviewing it week to week anymore? He is not reviewing it week to week anymore. I pretty much only. I, I am now at the point where I have so much stuff to read that I only go to his site when I know. Like I need to read the Breaking Bad, or I need to read the Mad Men, or Game of Thrones. So, but uh, speaking, so I, I kind so of mentioned earlier. So, so, or if you want to segue, I was going to say of other half-hour shows that you are watching, what do you like? Um, me, me, me! Well, I love Brooklyn Nine Nine. I love it so much. I heart it. I watch it live. Wow. wow! I mean, I I watch it. I watch it later. That I watch it the next day on. Hulu, okay, wait. But I, I, take, I take that back. I watch it the same night because it's on Tuesday nights, and I usually have my Tuesday night TV group over. But as soon as they're all out the door, boom! Brooklyn Nine Nine on. I love it. I love it so much. It's so funny. The characters are so well like drawn. It's so good. It has the best credit sequence of any new show this year. <laughs> I agree. Um, but, how, how do we feel about Andy Samberg as Comedy McNulty? Not it my works quote. for me. I, I like it. Uh, he's okay. Uh, and it's one of these things where he's playing against Andre Brower, who's super dour, and that combination of frenetic and dry does does work okay. I don't love I don't love him personally. Like he's kind of the weakest link of that of everything in the show to me, but I really love the show. And it's uh, it's well done. And I uh, think the reason that Andy Samberg works for me in this role is because, um, even though he is sort of a goof off man child, we are still seeing. I mean, he is presented to us as a competent detective, you know, who's getting his who does that part of his job really well, and they've been good about. I mean, that's a hard line to walk, right? This guy who could be a joke, but we're also supposed to believe is good at a difficult and dangerous job. And I think they're, he is nailing it in his performance. They're nailing it in the writing. And, and you believe it. You know, he's kind and of a goofball, but he's a grown-up. And they've and nailed say, everyone in the supporting cast. Like, yeah. And, well, each that's character what I was is say. so, so well-defined and so funny. It's so well-cast. I love 
I, I think there are some characters that are better off than others. Like there are what I think, and this is pretty common, I think, with when you look at Parks and Recreation, and this is the same creative team from Parks and Recreation, is they it takes them a while to find their characters, but in the meantime, they give you a couple of gags or avenues of approach. Like with Joe Latruglio's character, what is he? He's a suck-up, he's a foodie, and he's he's uh he's uh got a huge crush on the mean detective. That's his character. That's three beats but they have found funny ways to play all three beats, occasionally combining them. And, you know, the same, M- Melissa Fumero's character, she's the one who's the, 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 in, the one who's not, uh, I don't remember her character's name. She's the one that's in the competition with Andy Sandberg. She's the other competent detective, but who's the Amy. super suck Amy up. is her name. Melissa <laughs> I do remember that well, name. It's, it's so- well, Melissa Fumero is her real name, and she's really good but other than wanting other than wanting andre brower's character to like her like we don't know anything about her and you know and i feel like there's a type of character which is what the meme cop is and they're the cypher they're they're whatever the storyline needs that week so and but i think terry cruz has been i think i always thought he's been funny but he's been a revelation in this i think for a lot of people definitely He's not just big and muscular. He's big and muscular and funny. Yeah, great. The same, the same skill that makes you a good football player also makes you a good comedian. Timing. <laughs> there you go. The, uh, uh, but uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I think it's probably the most complete out-of-the-box show. But knowing that Mike Schur shows get better, usually they make a big leap from season one to two. You know, he was a writer on The Office, and it did that. He was he created Parks and Rec and it did that. I can't wait to see where it goes in the second half of this season when they really find the characters at the heart of the show. Because right now it's funny, but I think it's a little thin. And when they get some character work in, I think it'll be I think it'll be good. Yeah, like because you know the the character work has not run true for me. Like oh, Andy Samberg's acting up because he doesn't like Christmas because that was always hard when he was a kid. And I feel like that's something that's been played a bunch of times. And it is a show that plays well with cop show stereotype, but uh, in trope, but I don't think it plays well with like, you know, when they try to use trope in character beats. And I don't think it's worked, but I think the show is really funny. And that's all that matters. Yeah, I think that's really funny. Um... Trophy Wife. Have you guys been watching Trophy Wife? No. I really like Trophy Wife. It falls prey to the same like Cougar Town terrible name syndrome that ABC has apparently. But um, it, Malin Ackerman is really funny. Marisha Gay Harden is hilarious. Michaela Watkins is hilarious. Bradley Whitford is affable and often funny. It's got three non-hateable kid actors, and it's a it's a really funny ensemble character that found itself pretty quickly. You know. The first few episodes are in, but by like episode three or four, I, I was kind of in on it. It's pleasant. It's not, you know, high octane. They did just do kind of a, a big kind of high concept episode for the Christmas episode. But other than that, it, it's just sort of like, it's really interesting to see a show that kind of puts three female characters at the forefront, you know, because it's this lawyer and his two ex-wives and his current wife. And it puts three female characters at the fore 
and just sort of says, hey, we're going to examine how their relationships affect each other. And, you know, one of them's the type A domineering and the other is the hippy dippy sort of, uh, uh, you know, alternative personality. And, in in, you know, Malin Ackerman probably is the least well-defined of the three, but she's funny and, and she can, and pretty and she can carry it off. So it's, uh, it's, I, I, I would advise you guys to check out Trophy Wife. It, it's better than the name makes it sound. And it's got like a great cast. I mean, just Bradley Whitford, you know? Okay. Um, I'd say for um, take a look at it. For me, the probably one of the two comedies that I look forward to most every week is Key and Peele. It's oh. always funny. Um, I'm not sure they've done anything this season that is as good as the first substitute teacher sketch they did last year. Um, maybe the one of the East West Bowl things. But it's the second East West Bowl. Yes. Uh, but everything about it is just really on. They don't drag out stuff too long. Um, it's the only sketch show, as far as I know, that's approached race in an interesting way since Chappelle show. And it comes at it from a different perspective, being that both. Uh, Jordan Peele and Keegan Michael Key are mixed race, and they have a perspective that is both uh, different in that they they see various sides of what it means to be whatever race you're in in America, but also allows them to play characters in ways that go to the extremes of uh, that the spectrum. I do, I think it may have been Amy in our last conversation who who. Put it out there, but Keen Peel is so much the comedy of enthusiasm, and maybe it was no. I, I, I wish I'd said that, but no. It, somebody, I read this. I wish I could attribute it. I'm just going to attribute everything I've ever heard to Linda Holmes because she's <laughs> Good brilliant. Idea. But um, I tell you, it's the comedy of enthusiasm. The Liam Neeson's sketch alone <laughs> is it, it is amazing, you know. And in the East West Bowl, that's been something. I I think everyone has jokingly made fun of the first round pick in this draft is going to be a guy named like Barcavius Mingo, you know he sounds like a bad sci-fi character that I would have written in in eighth grade, but he he's got in but you know you feel a little racist when you when you joke about people's un you know names that you feel are unusual because yeah, everyone's well, name is normal to them. Well, everyone's a little racist. Sometimes. <laughs> Thank you, Avenue Q. That's Avenue Q, right? Yes. It doesn't mean we're going to go around committing hate crimes. And if I was <laughs> really uh, a little tipsier, I would be singing that. But what's the other comedy? that uh, is Brooklyn Nine-Nine the other comedy, or is there another comedy that you look forward uh, the to? The other comedy that I look forward to uh, is Bob's Burgers. Oh, yes. Thank you. Because I've already mentioned it twice, and I was hoping somebody else would. <laughs> yeah, now, I... I it's also being super enthusiastic because you have just the the voice acting Gee. of having Eugene Merman, Kristen Shaw, uh, and Dan Mintz. Dan. That's not Dan Mintz. Yeah. Uh, no, who, who, Dan plays, Mintz. who plays who plays Linda? Uh, that's oh god, John something. John Roberts. Having the three of yeah. them together in a room is just has to be so ridiculously loud. And then you play that against the dourness of uh, John Benjamin's Bob and. 
uh, Dan Mintz's Tina, and it there's it's bizarre. They bring in great guest voice actors. They had uh, Bobcat Goldthwait in, who's oh they've had they've had John Hamm. They, they had they have yes they had John Hamm as a talking toilet. <laughs> In their ET parody, the, the voice, the constant level, great level. They've had Megan Mullally and Ke- Ke- Kevin Klein. Is, Kevin Klein, he's, he's the backup. He's he's their landlord. He's a recurring actor. Yeah, he's, a, he's a regular on there. Uh, uh, Sarah and uh, Laura Silverman are regular guests. Um, who else? Yeah, Ollie and Andy. Um, you know, you've had kind of the whole like human giant crew, like Rob Hubel and Aziz Ansari. Um, you, you've got like the whole indie comedy scene, you know, Zach Galifianakis, a lot of like really great, um, a lot of really great voice acting. So, and, uh, and great writing because pretty much everything that Gene or Tina says is hilarious. Oh, Tina is the best. <laughs> I, there was a, there was an AV club piece, uh, this week about Bob's burgers you know, on their best of the year countdown and talking about how the minute that the writer realized that it was the show, like that they were a real family was that how the family rallies around Tina, you know, that like whenever Tina is the one who's kind of got it the hardest, but that they, they kind of do everything to make Tina, you know, to make, to make it work for Tina. And I mean, there's a Wikipedia a summary of an episode in the first season that just says Tina isn't handling puberty well, so she's lying on the floor groaning, and that's exactly what happens. And it's so funny. the The voice actor Dan Mintz is just he can turn the the most like micro like sighs and groans and uh you know verbal shrugs into total like gut busting laughs. And and the writing just takes that character to love the most inane things with super seriousness in a way that makes sense from uh, teenage hormone perspectives. <laughs> uh, There's an yeah, episode I... where uh, she is shaving her leg hair or Bob takes her to dispose of her leg hair. And it's brilliant. Yeah, and it's like there's a waxing scene, and it's yeah. I mean, so uh, Bob's Burgers again. I know I mentioned it before, but that's another show that is really like the middle Roseanne, like blue collar. They're kind of workaday, and it's uh, it's just you know, it's pretty good. And but the other, there's another show now. This show, I would hesitate to call it a good show. But it is at times enjoyable, and it the best thing it does, the thing it does better than probably anyone but Bob's Burgers is guest acting, and that's the Mindy Project. Now, the Mindy Project is kind of a dumpster fire when it comes to the main character's characterization, which is bizarre because Mindy Kaling is a really gifted writer, I think. Uh, but they've never really nailed down the tone or anything resembling you know, likability or relatability, which I don't think you have to be likable or relatable, um, but you got to be interesting. And the main character is not that interesting, even though I find Mindy Kaling compelling as a writer and performer. Um, but they're guest stars. I have a short list of their guest stars. I'm just going to read them off. 
uh, in no particular order. Bill Hader, James Franco, Seth Rogen, Timothy Oliphant, Ed Helms, Anders Holm, Glenn Howerton, Allison Williams, Chloe Sevigny, Kevin Smith, The National, Los Angeles Angels pitcher C.J. Wilson, Mr. Former Kim Kardashian, Chris Humphreys, Amari Stoudemire, point forward for the, for the uh, New York Knicks, Seth Myers, Dan Castellanella, and Maria Menounos. And that's just some of it. There's been other guest stars like Adam Paley of the late, great uh, Happy Endings, rest in peace, who was upgraded from a guest star to a regular series regular. Um, and I, that is a murderer's row of, of guest stars. And I mean, you're talking people from the indie world, like Chloe Sevigny, to, you know, big time Hollywood, Hollywood guys, like, you know, well, I would consider James Franco and Seth Rogen. They've made a bunch of super successful movies. You know, I think James Franco would want to be known for his work in alternative art. You know, and, and but it also gets into guys on you know lo-fi indie sitcoms like Workaholics and and um, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like Anders Home and Glenn Howerton. So I don't know if it's just casting or if it's Mindy Kaling watching a lot of television and saying I want to work with that person. But uh, whatever the reason, that show consistently brings in great guest talent. It gives them things to do. Sometimes it is just, hey, look, it's Chris Humphreys, the guy who used to be married to Kim Kardashian. But, you know, they brought in Kevin Smith to make a fat joke, but they made it without, you know, being like, haha, fatty on a plane. You know, they did it in a knowing way, but in a not obnoxious way. So have, have you seen any of the Mindy Project? I watched the pilot. And I've been recording it ever since. I don't think I've ever watched another episode. Uh, actually, I, I tried. I tried one some point last year. It's not. Uh, just never really clicked for me in the you know two episodes I've watched. But uh, it, it's a mess. It's kind of a mess. But it gets really good people and puts them in scenes opposite from each other. Uh, like I, you know, pretty much if a scene doesn't involve, uh, oh, what's his name? The guy, he's, he's the, he's Jane Fonda's son on the newsroom. He's, he's been in like every indie movie ever. Black hair. He, he's, uh, you know, he, he plays another, he plays another OB. So the, the Mindy Project, which you would never know this from, you know, any marketing material from the Mindy Project, but it's, it's set at an OBGYN clinic, Chris Messina. And if it doesn't have Chris Messina and or a guest star, probably not that interested. You know, they've got the Duplass brothers, Mark and Jay Duplass from the league and Mumblecore fame, um, kind of in recurring roles as rivals for their firm. But it's a, it's a show that, like, gets a lot of talent and doesn't really figure out anything to do with it. But I kind of like watching it to see, like, hey, who's going to show up this week? It's... You know, because they, I, I'm sure that if I was more plugged into casting rumors, I could find out, but I don't really, I don't really know. Now, well, I don't think it, also, I, I don't know if you have more to say on it, but I don't think that having a likable main character necessarily makes a good show. That it's not necessarily no. a, a main criteria for good show because two of the other things I'd like to talk about, both HBO shows have kind of despicable, horrible people at their core or, May not despicable and horrible, but just unlikable. And uh, I think that's, I can guess one of them. That would be obviously girls, and the other would be enlightened. And oh. uh, both of those were, I thought, fantastic this year. And the the other thing that I think both of them share 
is that they've both they both did episodes that are more like short films than episodes of TV shows, where they focus on a subset of characters. They really only follow one story throughout. Uh, with girls, uh, it was probably the Boys. the uh, episode. Well, there was that one. There's also the one with uh, where uh, Hannah spends the day with uh, Patrick Wilson's successful doctor character, which I thought oh, was yeah. such a, a great, beautiful uh, episode that kind of just stood alone as like this little short film type of thing. And then Enlightened did that with uh, Luke Wilson's character and with Mike White's character. They did these episodes that focused on these two, these two characters. They were just real. The, the Mike White characters episode was just so terrific and uh the whole this whole that whole last season of the show everything just was so awkward and interesting and well done i I just i loved it and uh what's the setup on enlightened because i heard base i i'm not gonna lie i i had heard of the show but i didn't think much of it until pat and oswald went on a twitter jag about it so what's the setup there? So the setup is uh, Laura Dern plays a character who works for uh, Amy Jellico, who works for a kind of faceless, nameless big corporation and is demoted to kind of working in the basement, initially punished for uh, kind of going crazy and freaking out. And uh, then she goes, find, finds a... Uh, she goes to Hawaii, finds her becomes comes back enlightened and uh kind of mashing up a couple ideas from both seasons of the show here uh she goes to hawaii comes back is enlightened and comes back to work with this new perspective except that she comes back to work she's been sent to off of the career track down to the gutter where she meets mike white who wrote the show wrote and created the show uh plays plays a character's name I forget and uh this is kind of the story of her dealing with uh life after this breakdown coming back more enlightened uh I'm not selling this well but it's a really fantastic show and it's very and it's probably hard to get into because it's awkward and Oh, so it's like cringe comedy? I there are parts of it that it's are It's not cringe. even comedy. It's Is it just cringe? cringe it's horror? not it's it's actually it's very funny, <laughs> but it's very dark. So, it's I wouldn't say it's necessarily all cringy, but there's an element of that to it. Cuz her character, uh, Amy Dern's character is just Laura Dern's character Amy is just so astringent and not not necessarily unself-aware, but just self-centered. It's very very self-centered. It, it, I I don't really know how to describe it, but it it's the kind of person who is entirely sure of, of herself and entirely wrong, and everyone around her knows how wrong she is, but she's clueless about that, but passionate in her wrongness. Well, I mean, that's probably the best sell job anyone has done on it, because the only other thing I've ever heard anyone say, and it's been a little frustrating, it's been like, oh, it's really good, see it, and 
Like, you can't explain it. If I try to explain it, it'll make it sound bad. And I'm like, well, I'd rather, you know, know something going in. Because uh, uh, Enlightened sort of just flew under the radar for me. But I, that's something I, I now you maybe want to see it. So now I've added another TV show to my estimable list of things I need to watch. Uh, it's really wonderful. It's short. It's, I think, only 16 episodes total, half-hour episodes. Oh, uh, wow. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll slot that in right after uh, Orange is the New Black. That would be because I, I got to finish House of Cards. I'm not I'm not done it yet. I'm like just a little before the end. So that's and then uh, Orange is the New Black is next. So that that was I thought very good. And then Girls also really hits that. Uh, just, it went awkward and cringy and made the characters unlikable in a way that was also very compelling and real and relatable. I there you go, girls. Dan. We were talking earlier about TV. Does it show people your age? Okay. And boom, <laughs> there you go. There you go, girls. I know nobody who is like Hannah Horvath. I don't know anyone who's as pretty as Allison Williams. I do know people that are like Jessa because I live in Boulder. Um, but the I, I I and I wish I knew more people like Ray. I would hang out with Ray any day. I want to buy Ray a bunch of beer and be sad with Ray. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, living in Athens, I, ooh, you know, Athens is never far from being like Brooklyn, Portland, and it's, you know, kind of, uh, uh, yeah, it's it's like a, you know, the the entitled hipster kind of yeah thing. You know, it's like the Hannah Horvath. Oh my God, Athens is littered with those people. You think Athens and, is? Try Brooklyn. Well, I mean, obviously, gr- because that's where girls is, but I'm just saying, you know, you don't necessarily have to move to Brooklyn to be that entitled twit. Um, and There's uh, actually a fair amount of it in pretty much any college town, you know, where people settle, you know. and Well, you- I mean, it depends. See, I think Athens is still running on that. You have to have that. Like- you have the music scene thing, which I'm like, dude, the music scene happened 40 years ago now. Or 30 years ago, calm down, you know? I mean, there is still a lot of music here, but it's not phenomenally different than, like you say, any other college town. But because of that reputation, you know, Athens has a lot of, you know, artsy people like her. Um, and we certainly have plenty of Allison Williams. Just watch the joggers so, on so Sorority Row. So you're saying Row. that every, any prospective Hannah Horvath who is born south of the Mason-Dixon line goes to Athens, Georgia? Well, I mean, they could. Yeah. Um. I, I, I mean, the, yeah. I mean, uh, well, yeah. I mean, you could see Agnes Scott. Um. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of a few other places. You might have some. I had a friend who went there. Uh, the Jesses are going to end up at UNC Asheville, or Appalachian State. <laughs> uh, the. The uh, I I want to agree with you, Adam. That um, girls was probably one of the best things Adam? I saw on television. Who's Adam? Uh, Adam Andrew. Sorry. Well, I do think that Adam Driver. I'm thinking of would Adam Driver, that, but uh... I, I'm thinking of oh, well, I'm thinking of Adam Driver because you pulled out two episodes that I like, but my two favorite episodes uh, were one was the Hannah Patrick Wilson episode. But the other was boys. I loved the boys episode, uh, where it's just Ray and uh, what's Adam Driver's character's name again? Uh, is it Adam? Is it, uh, I don't. He's called is Adam. Ad- I believe, yeah. Oh, is it Adam? Okay. 
It's it's Ray and Adam on like a vision quest to Staten Island. Like <laughs> and Ray is just so mad that he's going to Staten Island the whole time and Adam is just like a nice guy but a weird guy. Like I'm weird, he is bizarre. He's a bizarre individual. I I am fully I fully believe that the character of Adam has been fully formed since the first episode because in the first episode of Girls when there it's the it's when she goes over to his place to hook up with Adam and he like pulls her boot off and like leans over the back of the couch and just spikes it and it's just like in the background because you know there's a topless girl you're supposed to be looking at but I was watching the the weird guy like take a boot in his hand and just like volleyball spike it behind his own couch and that is a totally bizarre character and he's amazing and they kind of plumbed the depths with him when you got to see him dating the either like the perfectly nice girl who just was not right for him. And he kind of like was on his best behavior for a little while before he reverted to kind of like kind of vile behavior. Kind but, of vile behavior? Well, it, I was it, I, I think he's a damaged person. And I mean, he came you got to admit he came through in the clutch in the finale. Well, I think the finale, we're supposed to... I don't think we're supposed to think that's a beautiful, romantic moment. I think we're supposed well, to Well, I'm think not talking about it being beautiful and romantic, but, you know, it's, there's, there's only a few people in your life that you can call and say, you know, I need help, I need it now, and they'll just drop everything and come to you. I think the story of the next season of Girls will be that, yes, while Adam is that person, but he's also not the right romantic partner for Hannah. And it's going to be her coming to terms with that, which they kind of already did this season when they broke up and he ended up with a restraint. He had a restraining order, which I mean, of all the things like Hannah is just, I like, I think the character is fascinating. I'm fully capable of separating her from Lena Dunham, but Hannah just makes me so mad in every episode, but it's also like a knowing that like when, when she got a restraining order against, Adam, but didn't tell him, you know, like he didn't know, and then calls him to come over, and he, like it's just the most, like I I might I know people that have done stuff like that, so I, you know, uh, the show is too real. It's so you're right, Amy. It is about people my age. It's just I don't behave like any of them, or I try not to. You hope you. <laughs> it's more that you hope that you don't. Well, but I you see, your, you probably that... see parts of yourself in all of them because I definitely see a lot of things that I exaggerated versions. Of... Yeah, they're archetypes. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pretty enough to be Marnie. I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm. I'm. But I can believe I... that you would go to your ex's office party and sing awkward karaoke. <laughs> uh, awkward Kanye West karaoke. <laughs> The uh, no, I I do far I I do far more embarrassing things than that, um, but the uh, but um, you know, or you know, I just I and we haven't even talked about Shoshana yet, which this season was really Shoshana's season of anyone, you know, like I think this the like she that was in the first season she was kind of a one note joke, and this season was about her like dating Ray and then like figuring out that she really doesn't want to date Ray and then like coming into her own from this little like buttoned up Jewish American princess into like, you know, more of a was a virgin. <laughs> yeah, well she did cocaine. <laughs> Crack. 
<laughs> crack. You're right. I, I take that back. Crack. Yeah, I, I was trying to to think uh, early uh, early this week when I started to think I should do like a top list or whatever. Who, which characters on TV I found more fun, interesting, enjoyable than Shoshana? And aside from a couple of the kids on Bob's Burgers, I don't think that there is anyone else. Pound for pound, one of the fun, like line for line, one of the funniest characters on television, especially when she's just like going off on Ray, because everybody has either done this or known somebody who's done this, where like they're dating the person they're dating, and it's usually like the first serious relationship you have, and you just your brain doesn't occur, it doesn't occur to you to break up with them, you know, even though everything you're saying is like, yeah, you should break up with this person. But you're, it doesn't occur to you. And then we got to see her have the epiphany that, like, shit, I shouldn't be dating Ray, like, on camera. And she played it really well. And, it, you know, and to be fair, Ray, the guy, I don't know the name of the actor who plays Ray, but he played that episode where she breaks up with him and kicks him out because he's squatting on her couch. Like, he, he plays that with the ultimate level of, like, no dignity, like, total totally fearlessly like what's you know what's the i don't know he just i'm trying to think of the right word i can't come up with it he played it with the like i suspect no it's a as, words yeah there's there's no dignity as an actor in that role and there's no dignity for the character like the character has hit rock bottom and the actor didn't pull any punches nor did he go too big either but he didn't pull any punches about making ray pathetic and you know, that's I, I think. Did you get the Colin Quinn cameo as like Ray's boss, the future Ray was just so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, um, Amy, Amy, do you have more TV? Uh, well, I won't. I'll just do a, a brief list um, without any annotation. Uh, hit and miss. Switched at birth. Game of Thrones. The Good Wife and Miss Fisher Mysteries have all been highlights of my TV viewing this year. I will, and for the catch of things that I will add uh, without comment, uh, The Daily Show and The Colbert Report continue to be the best you know, four hours a week of consistent quality on television every year. It's awesome. Wonderful. I, I, I think that, you know, we just saw, you know, the other day a tearful goodbye to John Oliver, but I, his stretch over the summer was just phenomenal. Yeah. In, that, incisive, like aggressive, you know. And lucky that he yeah, had Carlos Danger. Carlos oh. Danger, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, Carl, I, I'm really mad at Anthony Weiner because, you know, he – he blew up my spot. My my nom de plume was Roberto Casione. So Carlos Danger just ruined it for me. Um, I had a few more. I I didn't have that much more. I mean, I watch a lot of TV, but of stuff that I that happened this year that I was really excited about, The Americans didn't. Oh yeah, yeah. that should have been on my list. The Americans. It was so long ago, though, right? <laughs> it feels like it was forever ago. Justified. Ago. Ages ago. Just yeah, we were a different country. Reminds me. Uh, <laughs> not a perfect season for Justified last year because it, it premieres again in like three weeks. Um, but I, I loved it. Orphan Black, I mean, we've talked about it before, but really good. I think the hype 
a little too far on it, but God, it's a really good, well thought out uh, sci-fi serial. And Hannibal, Hannibal's the best new show on television this year. Hannibal was incredible. Um, it is so oh. horrifying psychologically, physically. It gets into body horror. It gets into like gaslighting level, like mind horror, like solipistic. Can I know myself? Or it just the acting performance, Hugh Dancy, so good. Mads Mickelson was just like an alien creature, like skin skin wearing brilliance as Hannibal. And then you know, like Gillian Anderson, also great in Broadchurch or she was in Broadchurch, right? No, That's she was in um the fall. Was, I always mix the And I should I should have put Broadchurch on my list. See T V, it was everywhere this year. But a Hannibal, if like a Hannibal, it's 13 episodes, nine and a half hours of television. I cannot recommend Hannibal enough. I went in expecting crap. And it was just the most brutal, terrifying. I don't get scared at television, guys. And I was just, I would watch it and just sit on my TV after it went to black and be like, well, I don't know how I'm going to sleep now. So yeah, that... I will say, um, on term in terms of like gore and horror and stuff like that, um, the blacklist really got me. Um, I mean, mainly it's because Spader is awesome. Uh, but it's been really it's been interesting and good, although I sometimes have to turn away because I'm like, whoa, this is this is more gruesome than I can handle. And and you mentioned Broadchurch, and I just have to say, if I haven't already plugged it, it's so good. And they stick the landing beautifully on it. And Olivia Coleman had a moment so good in in the finale that it, it, uh, it was just phenomenal. Like, I would give her an award just for that one scene in that one show because it was so amazing. Um, and then I've been watching, rewatching Peep Show, in which, which is a very comedic role for her. Uh, <laughs> and... I mean, the woman is just incredibly talented and versatile. And, you know, I think she's also going to be, because she's not like, con- I mean, she's certainly a lovely looking woman, but she's not conventional Hollywood pretty. Um, you know, she's not been getting the big roles. I think when she gets to a point where for women, looks become less of a factor in your casting, um, we're going to see some phenomenal work out of her. Just amazing stuff. I mean, she's going to be a Judy Dench, a Maggie Smith. She's going to be up there with those women. Wow. And I am looking forward to it. So, and also, uh, aside from Hannibal, there are a couple of other things in my, I've started to watch, but haven't finished yet list that are pretty good. And uh, that includes Masters of Sex. Uh, yeah. Boardwalk Empire. And uh, Treme, and the the one other thing I want to say about TV is probably the most improved show is the U.S. version of Top Gear on the History Channel that went from being oh. just an awkward knockoff of the UK show to being a good version of it with an American perspective. It's not that it's not quite as good as original recipe Top Gear has been, but it's pretty good and it's they've figured out what works on it and i gotta say that's i that's because that's the kind of show i don't think that gets talked about you know the that genre of it's not fiction but it's not like a reality reality show and so i just 
would have never given it a second try and assumed it was terrible. But it's that's fascinating that you say that it's improved. And that's one of those things I think that that got hurt from the way that we look at TV from, or at least the media looks at TV, in that you review a show when it comes out. If it's good, then you look at it episodically throughout the year or revisit it annually at each new season. If it's like U.S. adaptation of Top Gear on the second tier cable network that wasn't very good, you don't look at it again. And it has a core audience that allows it to maintain whatever minimal level of viewership that History Channel needs to renew it. And it's allowed itself to get better. It still looks as fabulous as the British version. It still loves cars. And they found out how the three hosts interact and how they work and how to run the show in a decent way. There are ways it could be improved, but it's gotten much better. And I've... I found as it was on this fall, this summer, it was one of the things that I was watching the same day or at least the day after that it ran while things that may have been higher quality just sat and took a while to uh, for me to get to. Well, I, I, I got to say, you know, you were talking about the way we review television and, you know, you, you how did, what brought you to, did you just keep watching the American Top Gear or did you get a clue that it was getting better and revisit it? Oh, no, I kept watching. I'm, I'm a huge fan of the British show. I, I, tor- I torrent it and watch it like day of. And so I recorded the American version and I just kept checking in on it, not necessarily every week, but I found that by this last season or this last couple of seasons i was watching it every week regularly and waiting for it so i i i'm impressed with the way that they've gotten together and there's definitely it's definitely still not like an a or a plus type show it's definitely still like a b or b minus of what it could be but it's much improved from the you know c minus that it started at you guys are gonna and i tell you what you mentioned torrents you guys are gonna make fun of me you guys make like to poke fun because I I illegally download stuff. But when, oh, but when Sherlock premieres in the BBC before PBS, you're all gonna be laughing, and I'm gonna be watching Sherlock. I'll be the one laughing. I screwed that up. It's really late. Okay. I, uh, I'll be the one <laughs> laughing, and you'll all be looking for illegal streams. Okay, so uh, <laughs> briefly, what's the one best thing that you? enjoyed in all like the best thing that you enjoyed in all of pop culture this year so this is our best in show yes uh, codename verity by elizabeth ween wine ween w-e-i-n dan i think it has to be uh gosh i saw so many good movies i think it's got to be iron man 3 hearing like just just hearing Robert Downey Jr. chew on Shane Black's dialogue. Uh, Shane Black famously was like the highest paid screenwriter of all time. And it, yeah, he, he should be the highest paid screenwriter and he should write 10 screenplays a year. The guy, the guy just writes and it was great. It's funny. It's a secret Christmas movie, even though it came out in May. It had a great climax. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for, for against all odds battles. So it was, it was great. And I'm going to cheat and say that my favorite pop culture adjacent moment was camping out on Twitter and waiting for everyone to start tweeting about the Red Wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for me, the the best pop culture thing of the year was the final season of Breaking Bad, no doubt. Um, 
although I have to say, Game of Thrones came very close with the cut to uh, the Hold Steady's version of the Bear and the Maiden Fair oh. in one episode after something very shocking happened at in the last scene, and then the Fade to Black at the Red Wedding scene. Uh, it's probably I the love- two best endings of anything on television this year. I love Even it. Uh, including how uh, batshit insane the end of Tahajali and Ozymandias were for Breaking Bad. Oh, totally, absolutely, and and I know we, I know this is a little tangent, but how brilliant was the casting of Robert Forrester? When I saw him, I actually stood up and said, "Yes, yes," and sat back down <laughs> and continued watching the episode, like. That's how I always imagined that character. He's the, just the guy from Jackie Brown, just a little older. Yes. <laughs> every, uh, pretty much, I mean, there are things to nitpick about the finale, but uh, they just everything about Breaking Bad just worked well. They every choice they made throughout the the duration of the series was typically the right choice, and it stands in its place in the pantheon of television, the pantheon of pop culture, as the best thing ever filmed in the state of New Mexico. (laughs) Without a doubt. Why you gotta be dissing on out of sight like that? Hey, I I gotta say, I gotta say, you know what? They made a bunch of references to my home state in the final two seasons, or, you know, two halves of the last season. That's all I can ask for. Any screen time for New Hampshire is good for me, even though they filmed it in, like, northern Nevada. No, they filmed it in New Mexico. Uh, New Mexico, that's what I mean. Yes. The northern New Mexico, in the mountains. There are mountains in New Mexico. Yes, so. there is snow in New Mexico. So, so that's that, so, was, uh, that was the year. Nothing so else was, is allowed to happen in the next week. Not, nothing, not, else, you know, nothing else will happen. So not all the, not all those giant movies opening in like a week, like yeah, six days that aren't opening here. They don't count as this year for this podcast. So that's really all that matters. So you, what's is there? Is there is there any Christmas Day movie this year you think that can measure up to Django Unchained, the greatest Christmas Day release of all time? What's a Christmas Day release this year? Um, isn't Wolf of Wall Street a Christmas Day? I think so. Uh, um, and I'm hearing really good things yes. about it. That is, I'm I'm pulling it up. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Lone Survivor, and my personal favorite for great terrible movie, Forty Seven Ronin. <laughs> I cannot wait to see Forty Seven Ronin because it looks terrible, but I'm gonna love every second of it because I have I have secret uh, manwood for uh, Keanu Reeves. <laughs> well, we have our episode title now. <laughs> secret, secret man would for Keanu. Well, I mean, there's that, and there's the what was it, butt rock, and then the queef, queef core, queef? butt rock, queef core, suspender core. I used core a lot. I, I I tried to reduce a lot of big concepts to a single pithy epithet. Okay, aside from the Christmas movie things, what is on the radar for next year that you're looking forward to? Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Game of Thrones season four. This season is going to be amazing because I've read the books, guys, and it's going to be amazing. Um, I will say season two of Orange is the New Black. I'm really looking forward to. Um, Switched at Birth will be coming back, and I'm very excited about that. 
Um, movies, I'm really looking forward to one that's going to be called Carol. Uh, it's based on a Patricia Highsmith novel that we talked about on my other podcast. And it's a period piece about forbidden lesbian love set in 1950s New York. And it stars Kate Blanchett. What I would more say, uh, <laughs> I would say Captain America. His, it's directed by Todd Haynes. And uh, so I'm like, D -d -d just keep going. Tell me what's wrong with this movie. So I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, 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 man. <laughs> Todd Haynes is pretty messed up. That, that was it. I, I love I, Todd Haynes movies. You shut your mouth. And I, I was going to say uh, that uh, Game of Thrones, the next season of Game of Thrones, the second half of the third book, uh, not quite as batshit insane as what's happened in this last season, but up there. I'm looking forward to seeing how what the reaction to some of these events will be. But uh, I'm going to go with the new album by The Both, which is Ted Leo and Amy Mann working together oh. in a collaboration that resulted from Twitter. And uh, I saw them in concert in September. Uh, it was good. It was as much stand-up as it was music. And... Uh, I just, it, the two of them have very different styles that work well together, and I'm looking forward to see how it turns out on the album. Um, other things I'm looking forward to, Labor Day, the new Jason Reitman movie starring Josh Brolin and Kate Winslet, and apparently James Vanderbeek is in it. Uh, the, uh, the new if he's Captain not playing America, James Vanderbeek, it doesn't, it doesn't count. I think he's playing a police officer or something. Um, the Veronica Mars movie. Uh, the uh, the new Captain America, uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, the new Wes Anderson movie. I'm in love. Uh, um, there's uh, I'm I'm just I'm just uh, the new uh, the new Lars von Trier movie, Nymphomaniac. I I hate watch love watch every single Lars von Trier movie with my buddy Noah, and uh, I'm I'm sure we'll see that at some point. Um, God, the remake for Godzilla looks really good. Um, it's got Brian Cranston and uh, that uh, the youngest uh, uh, Olsen sister, not the twin, the other, the one with talent. Um, Twenty Two Jump Street. Um, now you're just listing stuff. One thing. Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians. Okay. Oh, I was only allowed to pick one thing. Fine. Ooh, ooh, gonna... ooh. Can I be really? Can I be really fancy schmancy and say that I am absolutely planning a trip to Chicago next year to see a Magritte exhibit at the Art Institute of Chicago, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Okay, that's actually reasonably cool. <laughs> that's that's. I, I, well, I, I, I'm a big fan of Magritte's works. Uh, what what's Magritte, guys? He's a modern. Modernist artist, early modern. Surrealist. Surrealist. I, I saw some of his uh, stuff in the... You know the... Okay, here's what you'll know him from, Dan. Do you know the... Um, this is not a pipe joke? Oh, we have a picture. Is, yeah. That's Magritte. Um, or oh, the guy oh. in the bowler hat with the green apple in front of his face. Oh, That's Magritte. Totally. I gotcha. So a little surrealist? He's probably my favorite major artist. Well... So. If, I'm if very you're much looking pick, forward to that. If you're going to pick something smart, I'm going to pick something dumb. Beer. Denver and Boulder. <laughs> Colorado is Colorado is the best place in the world for beer. I'll, yeah, that's right, Germany. Deal with it. 
Colorado has so much great craft beer coming out of it right now. Not just the big guys like New Belgium and Avery and and all those great beers, but there's even the little stuff. I spent an entire afternoon in Denver last weekend drinking craft beers and loving it. It's there's innovation. They treat it like there's innovation. There, there's you know taking classic forms and styles and breaking them down and building them up. It's it's phenomenal. Everyone should come to Colorado and drink our amazing beer. That's what you should do. I, and as much as I'm a booster for New York City and the borough of Brooklyn, this is one area where we fall far behind the state of Colorado, the cities of Portland's, both coasts, and other areas that are far more advanced in their beer brewing techniques. Then. Oh yeah, and and by the way, I've I've I'm approaching my one year anniversary of moving to Boulder, and the if if and when I ever have to move someday to be closer to my family and my friends and everyone I've ever known for most of my life, the beer will be the hardest thing to give up. <laughs> Not being able to walk to to walk down a street in Denver and walk into somewhere and get you know some of the just the most complex yet approachable i i mean I, i'm beer i'm beer nerding right now and yeah. uh you you at least had the dignity to explain what makes uh what what makes uh that modern artist magritte so great where i just said this beer is good drink this beer so, <laughs> so i think that wraps it up that was 2013 <laughs> uh that was all of it we mentioned everything if it, it wasn't mentioned us, here, you don't need to care about it. It only took us three hours. <laughs> uh, is that it, is that a good enough sign off? Do we want to do anything else for a sign off, or are we gonna let are we gonna let it rest there? I think that that pretty much does it. Uh, until <laughs> next time. Well, let's let's wrap it up more formally. Uh, this okay. has been your Buzz Rant and Rave podcast. Uh, you can find us on the web at buzzrantrave.com. You can find uh, Dan at Dan. This is where you're supposed to promote yourself. <laughs> uh, you can find me. Oh no, no, no. I, all right. Tell I, the boys I'll, and girls I'll, I'll, your I'll home address, Dan. Uh, eight, no, eight fifteen. No, um, you can find me on the internet at dansuter.com. S-U-I-T-O-R. I occasionally repost old things that I wrote and. Uh, I, you can find me on Twitter at, at Naked Baby Photos. It's a Ben Folds 5 B-Size and Covers album, uh, not a, a statement of my own proclivities. Amy? I'm Amy Watts on Twitter, and I'm Wattsarian on Tumblr, which I am starting to use a little bit more regularly, and for things other than cat pictures. All the kids are using it, Amy. Um. So until next time, I'm Andrew Raff. You can find me on the web at andrewraff.com, Andrew at Andrew Raff on, tum on, on Tumblr. I use it very infrequently, mostly on Twitter there. And uh, you can find the show notes from this where I go back and link to all the stuff we discussed, hopefully, at buzzrantrave.com. Buzz